When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the New European Podcast. My name is Richard Porritt and I'm joined by Steve Anglesey. Hello, snowflakes. Hello, Richard. Hello, Steve. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm 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 winding down. I'm um, I'm although some would say I've never wound up, um, but I'm I'm about to go on holiday to the EU. Oh, I, oh, you are. Of I'm, course. I'm, Where are you going? I'm, I'm almost hoping I get unwell so I can use my EHIC card. And even though <laughs> we're not taking the dog with us, I'd quite like to smuggle the dog through so we can use a pet passport and all of these things. I might even try and drive a truck back. Who knows? Anyway, did you see? I, I've just seen some. Some. I think it was James Ball, friend of the New European. Actually, he was talking on Twitter just before I came on yes. about the pet passport. Oh and yes, cat, cats and dogs oh, and yes. ferrets. I think are, are included in the new advice. So obviously, oh, talking to the Yorkshire, talking to the Yorkshire traveller there, the government very the much ferrets, so, but James. Yeah. James very much said, well, why would you need a passport for your ferret? You would just obviously smuggle it down your trousers. Yes, exactly. You could, you could, get, um, you could get one, uh, one down each trouser leg, couldn't you? That is certainly what I would do. Or, I always, I've always or found eels in the manner of... Um, or the gloved wang. In the manner of, um, in the manner of Jake the Poacher from Withnall and I. He had eels, That's didn't right, he? That's yeah. right, He had some eels, eels down his trousers. Really. They're not nice things, are they, eels? No, not especially. Not not when you've got to sort of beat them to death over the uh, on the the um, over the bar like uh, like Jake the poacher had to. But anyway, yes, quite. Digress. Well, anyway, we, we, we this is this podcast has got off to a not uncharacteristic uh, <laughs> rambling start. Um, but we have got, <laughs> but anyway, guests welcome on again, haven't we? Welcome, we have got guests on, and I'm going to try and pronounce their names correctly in a second. Um, so yes, we're going to be joined very, uh, very shortly by former cabinet office and uh, foreign office special advisor uh, Anton Spisak. I think he's probably. We'll ask him if I've got that wrong. He can, he can give me a kicking when he arrives. Um, and then we're going to speak to, and I'm bound to get this wrong, Steve uh, Inga Inga Kentrup. Inga Kemtrup, who uh, Matt Withers is going to talk to. She is the uh, chair of Democrats Abroad UK. Obviously, Democratic Convention going on uh, in america and there's been it's been quite interesting actually i've enjoyed it it's been good it's uh, some, yes some good it's speakers what, it's what it's lacked in sort of balloons and big signs and stuff like that it's uh, and and sort of power tunes uh kamala harris was very good i thought um yeah, yeah. obviously both the both the obamas were, were, were great um you were Brilliant. reminded really what a good, good speaker really, barack really obama good. is 
Um, yeah, yeah, I know. It's 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 it, it's it, it's such a. It seems like a dim and distant past, doesn't it? But he was he was superb. My favourite though, this far, and I can't remember the name, I'm afraid. But there was a young woman. Um, I think it was the first day actually, and she spoke. Her father was a Trump voter, a Trump supporter, oh, yeah. and she said that the you know he, he died from 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 COVID nineteen, and she very firmly put the blame at the government's door and said, you know, he had no underlying health issues. The only issue he had was the fact that he voted for Donald Trump. You know, that was, that was the only thing. Um, that, was really, that was really powerful stuff, I thought. So I think it's going well. Obviously, we'll see next week uh, how, how the Donald comes back at them. Um, so, yeah, two guests. We will be doing the news, of course, as always. I still think it's worth getting your news from a few other places as well as us. But I think we're getting back to that point. Fingers crossed for no second wave, obviously no second spike. But please, um, yeah, maybe check in, check in on the Today Programme or the New European website or something like that, just to make sure you're not you know, wearing a mask when you don't have to or not wearing a mask when you should be, that kind of thing. Um, we will cover our news. We will then speak, Matt Withers will speak to our guest from Democrats Abroad, and then we will crown a Brexiteer of the Week as always uh steve it has been quite newsy actually this week hasn't it especially for one person in particular very it's been very very newsy uh yes uh well we can talk for august um, anyway i mean I, I don't know what you think the biggest mischance of the week was but was it you know was it raheem sterling missing that sitter at, at two one down which put my team manchester city out of the the champions league or was it Boris Johnson failing to accept the resignation of Gavin Williamson? Just, I mean, quite amazing, really. Uh, an open goal there for, for Boris Johnson. God knows why. Um, uh, but there you go. Um, disappointment for you this week, though, because I know that you, when they set up the National Institute for Health Protection, as somebody who knows very little about health protection, you were hoping to get the, the job, weren't you? But it's gone to the plucky outside of Dido Harding <laughs> instead, so commiserations mate yes yes i i i fear that i'm never going to be right for for high office yeah i think it would maybe it would help if you were sort of high up in the jockey club like dido harding is um <laughs> as you know i'm not and you're and you're well you could be and your employer was was to be was matt hancock who of course is very keen on racing and uh, gets substantial donations from the racing industry. Those things are obviously not connected. And she's also married to a, a Tory life peer. She's also married to a Tory MP, isn't she? And she is a Tory life peer. Um, and she's, you know, as, as part of the jockey club, she part owns, uh, she's she's one of the, um, the well, they, they own Cheltenham Racecourse. So she's on the board of, of people that organise that. And um, despite all these, handicapped she's she's managed to come from nowhere and, and get this get this job which is great well done Dido yeah um, good work I didn't like yeah. um I didn't it, like white flags very much yes it's good isn't it she do you know that Dido Harding is actually not called Dido unlike Dido Dido Harding is not called Dido Dido oh. Harding is called Diana Diana Harding Diana Mary Harding, Dido, the singer, White Flag, and all of that, is called. Is actually called Dido. She's got a much more sensible name than Diana Harding. She's called Dido Florian Cloud de Bouneville O'Malley Armstrong. And of course, her brother is Rollo uh, from 
Faithless. He is, yeah. I think slightly older brother. And I believe that his full name also has the O'Malley Armstrong bit in there. Yes, I think that's right. Uh, I can't remember. We ended up calling each other Rollo and Dido, isn't it, professionally? Yeah. (laughs) Or Rollo Faithless, as I think he's known. Dido Harding grew up on a pig farm. Um, which might explain why she makes a pig's ear of things like track and trace. Um, you know, the uh, what was it? The talk talk data breach, of course, she was in charge of that, wasn't she? Um, mm. And I particularly, looking back on, on all the reasons that she got this job, I particularly enjoyed reading, again, reading the interview with her when um, they sort of a talk talk announced that there was a data leak and everybody, you know, People, people who could basically turn on a computer could see all of your data. And somebody said, "Well, you know, at least as this, at least the data must be encrypted." And she said, "And, and she said the awful truth is that I don't know." <laughs> so oh, there you go. Good luck. Good luck for Dido. Um, it, a pig farm. It would be slightly better, wouldn't it, if they appointed people who'd grown up on a on a silk pur- in a silk purse factory rather than in a, <laughs> a pig farm. Um, but there you go. Anyway. <laughs> what else has um, got your eyes, Steve, this week in the news? I have got, well, I thought it's interesting to see, did you see what the Australian politicians have said they want to be the price of a trade deal with the UK? Is it £1.72? £1. Well, they, they've, they've actually said they want freedom of movement with, for Australians in the, in the UK. So if we, they do, a, if they agree to do a trade deal with us, they want Australians to have freedom, freedom of movement to come to the UK and do whatever they, they like. And, you know, maybe we should do that. And then maybe we should do a deal with the trade deal with the EU, which involves, <laughs> um, it involves that. And then we could go to the EU countries, which are nearer than Australia, and their people could come here and it would all be perfectly nice, wouldn't it? Anyway. It, just, it um, sounds like, a, it sounds like a, a really good idea, Steve. I can't understand why I can't see a flaw in it, no. no. I can't see a flaw in it. The other thing that really caught my eye this week was on uh, Pop Bitch, which is, if you don't know what Pop Bitch is, uh, well, I think you do know what Pop Bitch is, but it's a, it's a, is it still a message board? I don't know what Pop Bitch is. It's certainly well, a gossip just, newsletter. It's, yeah, um, it's a, it, it sort of invented newsletters before twenty years before everyone caught on, really, didn't it? Did, it did, yeah. Um, and I learned from Pop Bitch this week that Andrea Ledsom's parents are called Richard and Judy, which is <laughs> tremendous, isn't it? Very good. I don't think it's that it Richard good. and Judy though. No, uh, no, I think there would be an age disparity there because Richard's still a young man uh yes he is and I tell you what else I saw one more thing before we talk about Gavin Williamson I saw that uh Nicholas Soames Churchill's uh grandson all of that um left the commons didn't he at the last election uh, um after being sort of bumped out of the Tory party for not agreeing with Brexit um he has done an interview with an Italian newspaper uh, and he said he has got a sort of astonishment at the people of Cornwall over Brexit. He said Cornwall voted unanim- quite unanimously. I don't think they, they did, but it was heavily, very heavily leave. Uh, Cornwall voted quite unanimously to leave the European Union and now has demanded those 700 million given by the uh, EU from the government back. Uh, uh, he, and then he said, <laughs> off is my view. So. Oh. Um, so there you Steve. go. Um, <laughs> so there you have it. Um, wise words from Nicholas Soames, I would say. Wise words indeed, Nicholas. 
Thank you. Maybe I would stick to being quiet. Um, but I, the man, of, the man of the week, of course, for all the wrong reasons, yes. is one of our favourites here Super on the Gav. on the podcast. We've loved Gavin Williamson for a long time. I think he came probably to our to everyone's to the forefront of everyone's attention when he did that sort of high camp hammer house of horrors speech at the uh it was the one <coughs> it was the um the uh chief whip speech before the incredible Theresa May speech where the letters fell yes. off and she coughed and she couldn't speak and then that Wally gave her a P forty five and it was just chaos and um he was talking about sharpening carrots and all that kind of thing. Um so he, he was he sort of came to our attention, I think, then. But there's been so many great stories about him. I mean, he, he, you must be quite, quite upset for poor Gavin Williamson, Steve, that he's had such a rough week. Well, I've, I've, as you say, I've been a long-time admirer of Gavin Williamson. And his spider. His spider. Um, there was spider. a touch of the old magic, wasn't there, this week when, you know... I mean, who has photos taken when they are <laughs> apologising... Um, for uh, for a, an incredible uh, balls up, uh, the incredible balls up that's been made of of um, uh, admissions, university admissions. Um, I, I I don't know if you remember this, um, but um, there was, I mean, obviously he came to, I think he came to nationwide attention, didn't he, when he was in charge of a, a pottery firm which um, put out lots of pottery with the wrong date for Charles and Camilla's wedding on it. Um, I mean, while you were making commemorative pottery for Charles and Camilla's wedding anyway, um, <laughs> but, um, but it, they, they did that. And he, he said, he declared that it had been a, a huge success and he, they didn't do it deliberately, obviously, but I think people bought it up thinking that it would be a collector's item. Then there was this, um, this idea he had when he was in charge of the, uh, of defense at the ministry of defense about mounting guns on tractors, buying up old ferries, turning them into assault craft he wanted to put rockets <laughs> uh missile defense rockets on uh coca-cola lorries didn't he he wanted to yeah. uh if spanish uh, vessels uh, went near gibraltar he wanted our people to paintball them um and uh you know the list goes on and of course uh, i mean uh, on, on the say, he, had the, he, had a, he had a photo taken while he was defending himself over this gross cock-up with a, a large whip on his desk um, so it made quite amazing. On the Coca-Cola bottles, was he thinking that he could, if if they came under attack, you know, each sort of uh, each member of the armed forces who was in in the Coca-Cola lorries could sort of put would be given some mentors, you know, to stick in the two-liter bottles and fire fire fizzy projectile at the enemies. That I think that was his thinking. Yeah. Well, it's not that daft after all, is it? Coca-Cola bottle, a massive mento, (laughs) and then two men to to uncork it. Um, So I think, you know, he is a a, a free thinker, isn't he? Um, He certainly is. I mean, is this the the sort of the death of accountability? Because, you know, we've now had Jenrick, we've had Cummings, obviously, we've had Matt Hancock. Um, all of these people could have could have gone. Dominic Cummings certainly, in my view, should have gone. Um, uh, clearly, Gavin Williamson should have gone. He might have gone by the time you're listening to this. Uh, let's hope so. But you know, 
it makes you feel nostalgic for the stability and the competence of the Theresa May administration, doesn't it? Yeah. When even people, when, when people like Amber Rudd, or Amber Rudd was carrying the can for Theresa May, but, but you know, Theresa May at least sacked Patel, she sacked Gavin Williamson, she, she, she made Rudd quit, she made Fallon quit, she made Damien Green quit, she could have made a, f- a few others quit, but they started quitting on her. And, um, you know, it, it, it does seem that um, it does seem that there is very little accountability and it does show that big majority, the danger of big majorities. We saw this, you know, with, with Mrs. Thatcher, didn't we? And, you know, and it, but I guess the upside for people who, who think like we do is that the government continues to build a reputation for incompetence. And you can see reflected in the polls this week, that, you know, even YouGov, which I think traditionally, you know, is viewed as having favoured the Tories is, 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 is pretty much, well, you know, we've moved into a situation now, haven't we, where um, Labour are a couple of points behind. Keir Starmer is favoured uh, as Prime Minister for more or less the first time over Boris Johnson with, with YouGov. So, and it's the, the lowest approval rate in full for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, I'd just prefer the government to be competent, if I'm, if I'm perfectly yeah, honest. there is Especially that. In, especially in the middle of a of a crisis um of a crisis like the one we are in the midst of um but anyway Gavin Williamson he may well have gone by the time you listen to this um but i i i just hope that i just hope that um that his spider's okay what's that bloody spider called steve chronos chronos that's right i once stopped him at the at conference and asked him if he'd brought chronos with him um he hadn't but i was hoping he was going to whip his spider out of his top pocket or something but but he didn't, which is a shame. He did whip out a sharpened carrot, though. So that was when I <laughs> beat a hasty retreat. Um, I believe we are joined. Him. I believe we are joined by our by our first guest, um, Anton. Anton, are you with us? And also, um, I, I, I'm hoping that I'm going to pronounce your last name right. Please don't. Please, please forgive me if I get it wrong. Um, Anton Spisak, is that right? That is right. Ah, fantastic. My goodness, I, I got it. Hi. I got it right. So welcome. Why don't you just introduce yourself first? Tell us what your background is and tell us why, because you've, you've written a great piece in the, in the New European this week. And, uh, and, and, and Steve will... It's not in the New European. You. It's uh, because there is no issue of the New European oh, of this course. week. <laughs> um, but but it, is on the, um, it is on the website of the, uh, the, the Tony Blair Institute where Anton... That's right. My a, my apologies. I I've been I've been off on holiday sunning myself for the first three days. But you're quite right. It's, it's on the Tony Blair Institute website, which you can all go and have a look at. Why do you, why, why don't you first tell us a bit about your background, Anton, and then we'll we'll jump in with some questions. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, so I recently joined the Tony Blair Institute to to lead the trade policy program. Um, and until recently, I was uh, a civil servant in, uh, in the government. I was involved in the Brexit negotiations for the last two and a half years. Uh, and uh, before then, I was, um, I'm kind of policy wonk. Uh, I've been involved in, in various policy organizations. Uh, so really, I've spent the last three years uh, dealing with Brexit and um, having recently left government uh, I'm now uh, doing some research on what the future uh, relationship between the UK and the EU could look like. 
And I mean, the, this piece that you have written, which, I th you know, has been widely shared and, and, and people who are listening to this will will no doubt have, have read. Um, it's I mean, it's called let's just let's just tee it up. It's called the UK falls into an elephant trap of its own making on Brexit. Um, what what exactly is that elephant trap? Because obviously the, the, you're, you're writing this with the talks having been resumed, us needing um, some kind of conclusion to these talks by the end of October, which obviously is, is well, it's not very long away at all, is it? No, it's not. And there's only a couple of weeks left to find resolution to some of the real difficult questions in the, in the negotiation. Um, both sides, actually, both the UK government and the EU say that a deal must be completed by the end of October if the full ratification process is to be done this year. Uh, so really, there is only about 10, 11 weeks left to find, uh, to find resolution to some of the big questions and also to, to conclude a full treaty. Uh, the one thing to remember is this is a very different kind of treaty from the one that Boris Johnson concluded last year, uh, that was withdrawal agreement. And when he was renegotiating the withdrawal agreement, that was only about the Northern Ireland issue, which was about 50 pages of, of, the, of the withdrawal agreement. Now, this is about 700 pages of, of, of legal text. It's a very, very different kind of negotiation than the one uh, that we were having last year. And it's much more extensive negotiation, and it's much more legally complex than than what we saw before. And I mean, you know, that obviously Britain has has had this choice, hasn't it? Whether you know whether it is going to to talk to Brussels and ask for agreement on services and on fisheries and stuff like that mm -hmm. or whether it is going to just drop its services what it's asking on services altogether and and accept that there may be tariffs in future that's that that's kind of the it's kind of an either or isn't it so what kind of deal do you think the uk is is going to ask for what kind of deal do we think the I mean, the EU are sort of saying it's one or the other, aren't they? And they're, they're, they're calling what the UK is asking for a low quality deal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, that, that is exactly right. You know, many people have, have stopped talking about Brexit when, when, um, when you know, uh, the UK left formally the EU uh, at the end of January. And when the, when the UK government said, we will now leave the single market and the customs union, and we are heading towards a free trade agreement. Many, many people accepted that as a fact, and it is a fact, but free trade agreements are of very different kinds. You can have an ambitious free trade agreement, and you can have a very uh, thin, very, you know, what's that EU diplomat described as low quality trade deal. So there's a whole range of options uh, in the spectrum. And uh, when the UK put up its proposals uh, back in May, I believe, it's, it's trying to find a, a bit of middle way. So, you know, on the one hand, it has argued that all it wants is a very simple trade deal because it doesn't want to concede on the big question of level playing field. So it wants to maximize its freedoms, especially when it comes to future regulations. And then on the other parts of the, of, of the trade deal, the UK has argued that it wants to have a bit more uh, preferential access for its 
services sectors, especially for um, businesses and professional services, but also for, for the financial services. And, you know, that, that as an opening position, that makes a lot of sense because the UK has a trade surplus with the EU in services. So it should be reasonably asking the EU to preserve that. Now, the problem is that the UK government hasn't really engaged with any of the trade-offs that this negotiation has raised so far. And that means that it now has to choose between, as you described, either dropping its offensive asks on services or potentially changing its offer on level playing fields and asking for concessions on services. And it, it really seems like what the government is doing right now is it, it is dropping its ask on services and effectively saying, we will have a very thin trade agreement that will include on, only the very, the very minimum services. And instead what we want is the maximum flexibility that we can possibly get on the level playing field. Right. So, I mean, I know Richard, you'll you'll want to you'll you'll want to come in. Do we? I presume um, I presume uh, Anton that you know that the, the, the COVID and and the way that uh, economies around the world and especially in the UK, but but obviously Europe is badly damaged by this too. I presume that that what has happened in since March makes the the idea of of no deal very very unlikely now or is there still a chance that this might all just explode i mean i i, I personally think uh, there is um there is a very serious risk of no deal still right. and uh you know politically it's very clear that no deal is not in the interest of either the uk or the eu um you know there are very, very strong political drivers for a deal um but there is a couple of reasons why i'm a bit more pessimistic um, one of the reasons is that um, even though we might find political resolutions to some of those big questions, like the level playing field, it is still going to be very difficult to conclude a full treaty which rounds to you know 700 pages or so uh, by the by the time that we have. Uh, so it will be actually very very difficult practically to 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 do this in the time that we have. And um, that raises the question of what to do if we have a political deal. You will remember the government had the option of extending the transition periods in, in mm-hmm. June, but that legal option has now fallen away. So there's no legal mechanism um, that would allow um, both sides to just extend like that. They would really need to find a new solutions to this. It's not impossible, but it will require quite a lot of um, quite a lot of negotiations and certainly some, uh, you know, some brand leverage on the UK side. Um, so that's one reason. The second reason I think is, um, is that um, even though no deal is clearly not in the interest of either side, there might be a no deal by accident, you know, one side or the other miscalculating at some point in the end game when it seems like they may not want to make any concessions until very last minute and suddenly something changes but there is still a possibility that that either Boris Johnson or the EU miscalculated that stage and will end up with a kind of no deal by accident. Um, um, so you know I, I think there is a real possibility that no deal might might still happen and I, I, I even think that it's currently quite underpriced in the financial markets and definitely in the public commentary. Um, um, so those are my kind of general thoughts on the possibility of a deal. 
Um, yeah, Anton, I'm interested in in all, all of what you said there. But there's a, there's a few things that I, I wanted to pick up with you. Firstly, um, do, what I, I the feeling for me when we went into lockdown and this terrible pandemic hit hit not just but the you know the EU and the whole of the world. My my feeling then with regards to Brexit was this is a perfect opportunity for for the for Boris Johnson for the British government to say, look, guys we absolutely need an extension. We can't possibly, while this is all going on, be expected to get a good deal as well. And I was, I, I, I'm constantly shocked, obviously, <laughs> by our politicians, but that would have been the perfect opportunity, wouldn't it, to, mm -hmm. to buy more time, to approach this in a bit more of an adult way. Do you agree? Were you surprised? I mean, I, I, mean, I wasn't surprised, uh, to be completely <laughs> frank, because I, I, you know, the reason why the government did not ask for extension was that... Um, um, they, they have thought uh, that some of the really big obstacles to deal are political, you know, and once you unblock some of the big political blockages, then you can quite quickly agree a deal. Um, but that was a, a wrong assumption. That didn't happen. You know, the, the, the EU didn't budge on level playing field and we are still stuck in limbo. And now it's very clear that um, uh, the political resolution to some of those big questions will not be known until probably, you know, mid, late October. So I think, you know, there was a wrong assumption on the UK side. Um, but, you know, there, there's still a possibility of, of some kind of extension being agreed. The, the difficulty is that, that, you know, that automatic legal mechanism that was available is now gone. So that would, yeah. if there was an extension, there would need to be a negotiation over it. And the UK would need to have a discussion with the EU about the future budgetary contributions and things like that. So, you know, it will be it will be quite difficult, but it's not impossible. You know, you can, you can find uh, creative lawyers both in Brussels and London, and they may be able to construct some solutions. Um, but it, it, it really needs the kind of political will in the first place. Um, do you, uh, it's a very direct question. Do, I mean, do you think this is being hang, handled badly on the UK's side, the, the trade negotiations? I mean, I think... Um, uh, I mean, I, th I think what is what is becoming clear now is that, um, um, you know, ministers and, and the prime minister especially have not really engaged with any, you know, any of the fundamental questions that this, this negotiation has raised, mostly because the energy has been consumed rightly by the, by the COVID crisis. And now they have this big choice about what to do next. And they really have to make a decision, you know, uh, and in my view, and this is what I've argued in my piece, is that they are making the wrong kind of decision. They are choosing to abandon the UK's offensive asks in services in the hope that they can convince the EU that the old UK needs is a very basic trade agreement without any obligations on the level playing field. I mean, I, in my view, this is a wrong assumption to make because the... You know, that ship has long sailed. The EU has made up its mind about the need for a level playing field a long time ago. And um, the expectations of member states are quite high. So it is, it is quite unreasonable to expect that uh, the member states would change their view on level playing field at this point. And, um, and it is also a choice between, you know, as, as, I, as I argued, between a uh, a thin deal and no deal ultimately and mm. and the EU knows that Boris Johnson needs a deal even if it's a bad deal because you know the, the political drivers for the deal exist 
Um, so, you know, the UK has put itself in a really quite difficult position. Um, and those are the choices that the government made. Um, and, um, you know, the consequences that we'll face, um, if there is a deal or if there is not, is a result of the choices the government made today. So I think that's my kind of broad view on what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one final question, Anthony. It's absolutely fascinating listening to someone who's, who's got the insight that, you, that you've got. And we're so grateful that you've, you've come on and agreed to speak to us. So I'll just keep you for one more, because I'm sure, you, I'm sure you're far busier than me and Steve, who just sit around <laughs> chatting on podcasts all day. Um, but what, what's the morale like in the, in the Brexit negotiating team? I mean, these guys, whether, whether you agree with the negotiation or not, I'm sure these guys are working really hard. You know, mm. I, I imagine the, I imagine morale is, well, I don't know. You tell us, what's it like? I mean, I, you know, I haven't been for months. I have been been involved for months now, but, um, you know, I mean, the negotiations are led by uh, David First. He's a political appointee, but uh, most people working for David First are civil servants. And, um, and I think there are some incredibly talented civil servants uh, working very hard to get a, you know, good deal for the UK and providing all the evidence and the analysis needed to make to make to make you know the best out of the situation you know but ultimately um you know ultimately this has been a very long process and i think a lot of people will feel dispirited by what's what's been going on um and um and um you know um I, I'm, I'm sure um people will um look back at this at this time with um, um you know thinking that it was a really, really interesting um, kind of challenge uh, from, you know, probably the biggest challenge in their kind of lives, uh, professional lives. Um, but it, it will be seen as something that was also really, really hard. And just one more from me, Anton, before we let you go. What, I, I mean, Britain, the UK's ambitions are going to be disappointed with whatever comes back. What do you think the reaction will be from the laughably named European research group mm. and the, the, the Brexiteers to whatever comes back. And is there any serious danger to, to Boris Johnson, who obviously is sitting on a, a, a such a huge majority that they're not really the parliamentary factor that they, that they were for, for Theresa May? Yes. I mean, I think that's a very interesting question. I, uh, you know, in the last few weeks, we have seen some of the, you know, mm. some of the members of the ERG, like Ian Duncan Smith, Say that you know we should we should even you know we should revoke the, the withdrawal agreements and and change our domestic law again to you know to stop um, some of the some of the things that the Boris Johnson um, um, negotiated last year and that you know members of the ERG were quite keen keen on. Um, uh, but you know I would expect the ERG to to say that this deal is so thin uh, and so minimal that it's not worth the paper it's written on. And therefore, we should just walk away with no deal. Um, I, I think, you know, I think this is quite, um, you know, to, to, be, to be polite, this is a wrong assumption. Um, <laughs> and uh, there are really strong reasons why a, a deal, even a thin one, is, is better than no deal. Uh, first of all, you know, it provides a degree of continuity, even if that continuity is minimal. Second of all, it, it you know, it doesn't end with a uh, really poisonous breakup of, of um, really important, strategically important relationship between the UK and the EU. 
Um, so, you know, I think, I think you will have voices in Parliament who um, will argue for no deal and who might complicate the situation for Boris Johnson. Um, um, but ultimately, I, 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 my view is that he will probably prevail. Fascinating so, stuff. A absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Maybe we can speak to you again once we've got a bit closer to a deal or indeed have, have got a deal. It'd be lovely to hear your thoughts on that. So absolute, absolute pleasure to have you. And um, guys, if you haven't read um, Anton's piece, then then go and check it out because uh, it's uh, it's blockbuster. Anton Spisak, thank you so much for joining us. Steve, that was great. Yeah, Thank really, really, me. really fascinating. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, we, we, you know, we sit here pontificating and obviously you're involved in, in politics kind of at the, at the coal face. Um, but it's amazing to hear from somebody who has uh, a real insight into actually knows what they're talking about rather that's, than that's what you. I was trying to say in a nice <laughs> way. But in a nicer, I was saying that in a nicer way. Should we talk about something that we do know something about? Because we know we know something about beer, don't we? We do. We do. We know. We know, we know a fair bit about beer, um, and a lot of people say that this podcast is basically two guys in a pub chatting to each other. Um, I, I, Anton has, has raised the bar a little bit um, of this episode, but I do have to talk to you, dear listener, because our good friends at Beer Fifty Two have um, have sent us some samples to try out and we're going to do that now instead i've poured mine into a glass steve i don't know you've got i'm, I'm naked. prepared yes mine is you've ready. got naked <laughs> you've yeah. got naked sauna sour which is a nordic sour it's four percent i think it's from finland i believe that is correct it um, is um it is by a cool it's by cool head i've got the uh, the wild beer company's millionaire it is from now. finland yeah I have to say that I would not normally choose this. It is salted caramel and chocolate and milk stout. So I'm going to try that. It looks superb. Um, but they've sent us this, of course, in celebration, dear listener, because we are indeed coming to the end of summer 2020, believe it or not. Um, and I, I, I certainly would agree uh, that it has been one of the strangest summers of all time. Um, but there is some kind of, we are getting back to some kind of normal. And, you know, so what better... If you're going to have a socially distanced mask wearing barbecue or you're going to watch a bit of is Champions League this weekend or is it next weekend? It is, it is this got, weekend. I prefer not to talk about the Champions League for obvious reasons. We've, we've got football you, because you'll never win it. We've yeah, got well, football. I'm coming, to that, I'm coming to that conclusion. Yeah, they should have <laughs> won it two seasons ago, really, shouldn't they? All last this season. Should, this should. Well, Huddersfield Town will never win anything. So you're ahead of me. Um, there, but there is, there is football coming up. There's cricket, great time to enjoy some nice, cool beers and some interesting beers. Um, so, beer 52. And in fact, Steve, it's my birthday on Saturday, oh, so I should is. definitely get some. And it's, a, and it's a big bugger as well. So I, I'm looking forward to getting some beer 52. You can send me some more if you want, beer 52. Um, they are offering eight, eight free craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52, that's beer52, the numbers, dot com forward slash new. www.beer52.com forward slash new. You, you need to cover the postage because these things are heavy. It's five ninety five, but you will get all these beers. And it, what happens is this is a subscription club, you know, so there's, they've got more than 150,000 members. 
and they send you a brand new case every month. And the beauty of it is that you get to try stuff you perhaps wouldn't normally. You fall in love with some new tastes. We've had a few cases before, Steve. I think we had one from... It's great. It's great. We had the, Euro- we had the European beers. Yes. Um, they've done ones that from... particularly good. I've we've done ones from the US. We had one as well. Yeah, the US ones were good. Uh, um, they are also passionate about UK craft beer because they are indeed an independent uh, British company. And if, if you prefer dark beer to light beer or vice versa, then you can choose that as well and you can get a selection uh, of your favourites. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to try this... This this millionaire, okay. uh, it's four point seven in volume. This is mine is the, open. Yours is open. Well, so is mine. Mine's the mine is salted caramel and chocolate milk stout. Here we go. I'm going to take a nice big sweet. I've really got no idea what this is going to be like. Have you ever had anything like this before, Steve? I, I have, um, and I quite like that. I quite like those, but they oh, I can't drink too much of them. No, quite um, rich. Okay, here we go. Oh, I had quite a big. Oh well, I tell you what, it's not like, it's not like anything I've had before, but I do like it. It is nice, and I'll tell you what, you can really, you can you, the salted caramel is what's coming yeah. through for me. Yeah, you get very a lot. good. You get that a lot nice. of those, don't you? And and they are they are sort of big tastes. Let me. I've had, already had a mouthful of this one, and it's very I'll nice. Bet you, yeah, before we came as on, I, as I said last week, I've I've become a. I've become a, a, a fan of sour beers, a lockdown fan of sour beers. This, I think, is... Hang on a second. It's also vegan, this beer, I'm told. That's great. Um, this is... I think this is a... I think this might be a wild ale as well, which is... Uh, I don't really understand what a wild ale is. Um, I think it's something to do with... Uh, it's something to do with... Um, is it, something, is it something to do with wild swimming? You have it while you're doing wild swimming? I don't know. Oh, I've no I idea. I, I, I'm not sure we should encourage swimming the, and drinking. Yeah, I, I don't swim and drink. I think it's something to do <laughs> with finished, um, the barrels that it is um, matured in, in a sort of a sour mash style. Um, but don't just take my word for it. Go and check it out. This is... Um, the, the the thing you can re- the the, af- the there's an aftertaste of coriander with in the I mean obviously it's a it's a sour beer it is very sour if you like sour beers you're gonna like this there's a lot of apple in it there is a lovely aftertaste of coriander um, I've not come across this before and I, indeed I've not come across um, I've not come across the, the, the brewery before, but it is really nice. It's pretty low uh, volume. It's 4%. four um, cool head brew, um, and it's the naked sauna sour. I'm not naked or in a sauna. Um, but you are sour. sour um, <laughs> but I did really enjoy this, and it's from beer52.com. Brilliant. Well, thank you once again to our very good friends at Beer52. If you want to take advantage of those, uh, getting your first case of eight beers for free go along right now to www.beer52.com forward slash new and uh enjoy responsibly obviously hey i didn't mention it earlier steve but have we got a quiz there's a little quiz um all all 55 questions 
um, from my great prime minister's quiz that was in uh, the, is in the current edition, uh, the current double edition of the New European um, are available on the New European website. Now, we did five last week. I thought I'd ask you another five this week. So you have to identify these prime ministers. Uh, and I'm right. going to give you a little clue and then we'll go through them again. Uh, so Prime Minister One, um, he was, oh, who was he now? He was uh, a 19th century liberal. He's quite a famous Prime Minister. And right. he, um, like the, the clues to him are he used to beat himself with a whip whenever he was tempted to commit adultery. Not Gavin Williamson's whip, I don't think. He was obsessively keen on cutting down trees. And such was his fame at the time that his admirers used to come up after he'd collect, chopped down a tree and collect his wood chippings. And his wow. wood chippings would then, would then sell, you know. It was like a, a beetle wig or something like that. So that's number one. He beat wow. himself with a whip. He liked to chop down trees. Number two uh, is a recent prime minister. Uh, it's a male prime minister because as, as a schoolboy, he said, oh, shit, in front of the Queen. Uh, oh, yes. He's also fond of singing my way after a few glasses of wine. Prime Minister <laughs> Three is a 19th century conservative, quite famous again. He's the only Prime Minister to be featured on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And he uh -huh. lived on the site of what is now Drayton Manor theme park. Prime Minister Four is... I went there a, once is a, uh, towards the end of the 20th century, uh, he's a Labour Prime Minister, um, and his mother talked so much about the second coming that he came home from school one day, she wasn't there, first time she'd not been there, and instead of thinking she's gone out to the shops, he actually thought that she'd uh, ascended to heaven and left him behind. Um, possibly not coincidentally, he also is famous for giving up alcohol during his premiership ah. and the fifth prime minister is another uh, tory he is a 20th century tory and he was uh beaten at harrow <laughs> school for writing pornography uh, well, i wasn't I laughing at him, i wasn't laughing at, laughing at him being beaten i just thought when you said a 20th century tory i had i had a, a t-rex song oh yeah that's um, your one, yeah. tory your 20th century tory uh, beaten at Harrow for writing pornography, which I think he sent to one of his mates at Eton and was, and was discovered. And his daughter, Betty, uh, was badly injured in a 1941 bombing raid on the Café de Paris nightclub in London, which decapitated the jazz band leader, Ken Snakehips Johnson. How's that for a mm. fact? Wow, Ken Snakehips Johnson, by the way, a very a, 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 a unjustly obscure figure. He was sort of London's answer to Count Basie and uh, absolutely huge at the time. He's almost totally forgotten now. Um, mm. But, yeah, he was uh, – yeah. so uh, poor old Ken Snakehips Johnson uh, decapitated in a bombing raid in which uh, this Prime Minister's daughter oh. was injured. So have you got any clues about this one? What about number one, the Prime well, Minister? Should we do the, should we, why, don't we, why don't we hand over to Matt Withers and then we do this before we do Brexiteer? Oh, okay, great. Then we've got a little time we to give think the, about it. Give the listener a little time to think and me a little time to Google. Um, so here is, <laughs> that's not true. I never do that. I swear to God I do that. Um, Matt Withers is about to speak to uh, Inga Kemptrump, who is the chair of Democrats Abroad um, in the UK. Take it away, Matt. From true crime to football, Brexit to folklore. For more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archant. 
Matt Withers here, and this week, the week of the Democratic National Convention in the US, I'm joined by Inga Kemtrup, Chair of Democrats Abroad UK. Inga, how do these strange times find you? Well, I'm doing well, spending a lot of time on Zoom, that's for sure. <laughs> Just like the convention, it's all remote. Yep, as, as, are, as are we all. Wish I'd bought uh, shares in it in, in, in January. <laughs> Um, it's been the, the Democratic National Convention this week. Um, it's obviously been a very different one, as you've alluded to this year. But even in normal times, the convention isn't like a British party conference with a couple of hundred people listening to a speech by a councillor, is it? Just explain to us what it is. Well, that's right. The, um, uh, the convention is a culmination of a process that actually, well, has been going on for a few years. But for, uh, in advance of it, we have a primary process that will, as you, as you saw with the number of contenders we have, uh, choose a candidate or, or there will be um, a, not a candidate who will have sufficient votes to come to the convention. There certainly have been instances where a candidate comes to a convention that does not have sufficient votes, but in this case they do. And um, that person is um, former Vice President Joe Biden who will be um, accepting the, the nomination this week. But essentially what the convention does is it brings together delegates from all over the United States and its territories. And that includes, by the way, Democrats abroad. Um, we actually had our chair, who international chair, who lives in Prague. Um, there was a really neat uh, roll call that showed people from all over their states talking a little bit about their um, states, and she was standing by a bridge in Prague and talking about Democrats abroad. We have, um, we sent delegates to the convention vir um, virtually, as did any, every other state. And what they do there is they will um, then, uh, he will be, he was nominated on Tuesday night. Joe Biden was nominated on Tuesday night. Um, that was a very uh, moving moment. And then um, there was a roll call on Tuesday to confirm that he had that nomination. So he'll be accepting that on Thursday night. It's sort of a long drawn out process, but actually I think it serves to bring together all the different sides of the party and make people together. And I can tell you that I think everyone is really quite focused this year on what we need to do. So there's, there's kind of an inherent drama into it. There's a sort of a, a, a narrative from you know the, the nominee coming and uh, being, sorry, being confirmed as the nominee, and when they leave, the general election starts. So basically, once we get through tonight's um, uh, event, then the general election for us begins. Yeah, I should say recording this on Thursday. Um, it's coincided with the slightly belated announcement of Kamala Harris as Joe Biden's vice presidential pick. Um, might not be a name that everybody was familiar with until a, a week or two ago. Um, tell us about her and why you think she was picked. Well, um, I actually uh, hail from California, as does uh, Senator Harris. Uh, she talked in her speech, which happened on Wednesday night, about her life, because it was sort of America needs to get to know her as well. In California, we're quite familiar with her because she was attorney general of the state. She was um, attorney general in, in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. And uh, most recently, she's been an extremely effective uh, senator, one of two from California. Um, she has a background of parents who 
are both immigrants who met at no place better than University of California, Berkeley, um, when they were both studying there to get their PhDs. Her mother came from India, her father from Jamaica. Um, they were, they met actually while marching on a civil rights movement march in the 60s. She actually said in her speech, I got a stroller's eye view of people, um, get, uh, uh, of what went on, of people getting into what John Lewis called good trouble. So she's, she's sort of a, a, a person of that time, but she was raised by her mother, the the parents split and um, her mother really obviously instilled a lot of ambition in her and her sister and she grew up in Oakland and then uh, got a law degree and has been you know moving upwards and I think what people probably know about her most what they remember is her at various uh, intelligence and, ju and um, judicial committee hearings particularly when she was up against uh, Kavanaugh when she was interrogating him and asking really tough smart questions to be honest, I can't wait to see her up against Vice President Mike Pence. I think she's going to be very effective and she's going to be very challenging. I'm pretty pleased uh, with the choice of her. There were a lot of other really good people too, though, and how nice that we have that opportunity right now. Uh, what about Joe Biden then and his strengths and challenges, weaknesses you might not prefer? Um, the narrative is, on the one hand, he's moderate, he's incredibly experienced, but he's also likely to be, well, he, he will be the oldest man to be sworn into office. He's seen as slightly gaff-prone. How do you sum him up? Well, it's interesting. I feel that um, along with a lot of people, even though he was vice president, you might think that uh, we're real familiar with him for that reason. But in some ways, because he was working so closely with Obama, you didn't find out that much about his his own story. So obviously he had been in the Senate before. He uh, served with Obama for eight years. Um, and I think that one thing that's emerging here and people are reminded about is that he's a person of, of compassion who has endured um, very dramatic personal events. Um, you, you may have heard that he, he lost his first wife and his daughter in a, in a car crash and then his um, son in 2015 died of brain cancer. So he's dealt with a lot of that. And when he listens to people, you feel he listens. But that doesn't just extend to sort of personal compassion. I've seen that he also changes from a policy point of view. And, you know, he championed um, what I'll call Obamacare, and he's pushed on other things. I mean, if you look at our platform, it's much more progressive than it ever was. And he is open to new ideas. And I think that's along with the fact that he's just competent, man, and we need competence, gives me a, a lot of hope. You talk about how the, the platform is more progressive than, than ever. The Republicans and their media outriders have clearly decided to portray Biden as a hopeless puppet of the hard left. Are you worried that that'll stick? Uh, I, I don't think so. I mean, I think that people don't have that impression of Biden. I think they think of him as kind of a solid guy. It's kind of funny because all the Republican memes kind of contradict each other, don't they? Like, oh, he's old, he can't change his mind, but oh, he's a figure of the left, you know, it's a little crazy. Uh, I, I think that that is really not gonna last, but you know, to be honest, we're gonna be seeing a lot more of this before it's over. It's 75 days till the election, 74. Um, it's, it's gonna be endless. Uh, the polling is clearly and consistently showing Biden with a firm lead, particularly in those key swing states. How much faith do you put in the polling at the moment? Uh, I think it's going to go up and down. I mean, we've got 75 days. Um, you know, I think a lot of people are experiencing a lot of hardship. 
My biggest concern, to be honest, is the, you know, that Trump now is kind of on the run. He and his uh, enablers, shall we call them, uh, they realize that the only way they're really going to win is by making it hard for people to vote. I don't know if you've been seeing about uh, what's going on with the post office and how he's doing his best to make sure there's no funding for the post office, to make sure that like even sorting machines are gone. And of course, I uh, just have to say this also affects Americans who, who vote abroad. And we're really urging all people, you know, um, to go, who, who live overseas and who are Americans who vote, to go to votefromabroad.org so that they can get their ballots, get that sorted, do as much electronically as they can. Because I don't know, I've had something that took like four weeks to come from California. It's getting a bit random and stuff has to get in by the start of November. And Inga, if, if Trump loses this election, um, how would you see that panning out? Because if anyone knows anything about his life story, his solution to pretty much every setback has been to go to court and sue. This could become <laughs> pretty messy, couldn't it? I think it's possible. That's why, um, frankly, I'm in favor of a landslide. I mean, vote. You've got to vote. This is something that Kamala said in her speech, you know, and also there was a really great speech from Barack Obama where he talked about the urgency of it, something we're seeing throughout. But to your point, I think one thing I want to suggest to people who are watching this, if there's a landslide, and I hope there's a landslide, then November 3rd will be great. We'll know it's done. But you have to remember there's going to be a lot of ballots that are still being counted. Um, an election is not over until all the ballots have been certified. So every ballot's going to be counted, and that could take a while. So, you know, we're not quite as efficient as um, other countries where you have the election, it's all done, and the next day the person's in office. It takes a little longer, but I just want you to be patient around November 3rd and know that it's getting done. One final and, and, and brief question then. It's fair to say that there's not going to be many people listening to this podcast who'd like to see four more years of, of, of Trump. <laughs> so they, they'd like to hear a positive answer from you. Is your man going to win? I think so. Yeah, I think so. I think people are kind of fed up to the eye teeth. Um, I th but, and it's just across everywhere. It's, it's, it's working people. It's people who are farmers. It's people who are small business owners. It's people like a friend of mine who has health care only because of Obamacare and he's got a chronic lung condition. It's people who have really suffered and are fed up and are scared about what will happen. I mean, could be democracy is done, uh, you know, because I don't think Trump is too fond of making sure that people can control their lives. So I'm... I'm hopeful, but I'm not complacent. Let's put it that way. Well, we will take that hope with us. Thank you very much, uh, Inga Kentrop, Chair of Democrats Abroad UK. Thanks. Brexiteer of the Week. Welcome back. That was excellent. Again, thank you, Mr. Withers, for that. Absolutely superb. Um, Please let him win. Not Matt Withers, Joe Biden. Oh, I should let Matt Withers win as well. Oh, we don't let him win. We want him to. We want him to actually win. You know, like don't, don't like roll over like when you play your dad at pool or something. No, don't do that. Um, uh, do you think if Matt Withers won the U.S. election in an upset, Donald Trump would would accept the results? <laughs> it's more likely than if if Biden wins. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, Hey, listen, I thought at the end, the end of the pod after we've done, oh, drop my pencil. At the end of the pod after we've done Brexiteer, I thought we could read out some reviews. What do okay, you cool. So we'll do that. Some good ones um, recently, yeah. But first, why don't you, Steve, remind us of the quiz questions and I will see how many I get right. Right. So this guy was a, uh, a liberal 
Prime Minister of the 19th century, quite famous, he used to beat himself with a whip whenever he was tempted to commit adultery. He was obsessively keen on chopping down trees and admirers used to collect his wood chippings. Who was that Prime Minister? What I'm interested with this is, did he carry the whip with him? And no, how oh, it was he at home. And so we know he would, this because he used, to, he used to write it down in his diary. Um, so he would write this down in his diary whenever he was, um, yeah, whenever he was um, tempted, the, the pleasures of the flesh and all of that. So it wasn't like, you know, the, the famous meme where there's the man and the woman walking along the street and he's looking at the passing woman. It wasn't like the Prime Minister would, in the middle of the street, have in... No, he didn't know. He waited until he got back to the comfort of Downing Street before he took out his trusty uh, whip. Lovely. Well, I'm afraid I I presume his wife was like... I mean, uh, there would be some more suspicions rising from the whip marks on his body, surely? Well, you would have thought so, but did, did people actually look at each other's bodies in those days? Did sex actually exist in those days? I'm not sure it did. I don't I think, know, but I can imagine. I imagine maybe this was just a good excuse to his wife, and he was actually actually into um, sadomasochism. Well, I mean, the reason that he he was tempted so often, I would imagine, and and who knows whether he was tempted or whether he actually uh, committed the the act, although he doesn't admit that in his in his diaries. And it's Gladstone, of course, who was oh, was famous for going out, and um, he would go out and and well, he would talk to prostitutes wouldn't he? he would and and he would try and direct them uh or so we're told to you know whatever back to downing street back to downing street or you know <laughs> as, as he said he would try and direct them to various sort of poor houses and you know church missions yeah. and, and stuff like that um so it was gladstone um obsessively keen on chopping down trees so um yeah interesting i should have known that really i now, do you know definitely know number two don't you yeah, he was a yeah. schoolboy who said, oh, shit, in front of the Queen, and his party piece is singing My Way. He sings, likes to sing My Way on karaoke after a few glasses of wine. This is uh, the party prime minister himself, David Cameron. And I think the, the interesting bit, and this is definitely how the other half live, isn't it? And I don't know if I've got this absolutely right, but I have read, I didn't read his book, but I, I read some of, the, um, some of the stuff that was in the papers around the time it came out. Didn't he forget to say amen or something like that at the end he was reading out a prayer as a schoolboy yes, at a church right. service where the queen was present i mean i went to a church school the queen never came to our to no. our um, our uh, t- uh, church uh, church services and then he sort of forgot to say a bit of the prayer i think it was amen or whatever and then instead said oh shit is that right that's that's absolutely correct he did excellent yeah. Number three, he's the only Prime Minister to be featured on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He lived on the site of Drayton Manor theme park. It's brilliant. He could just go on a roller coaster any time he liked, isn't it? And uh, he was a 19th century conservative. He's famous, really famous for, for something else, um, not directly related to politics, actually. Um, any ideas who that is? Robert Peel. It is Robert Peel. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. He's on the. Uh, he's on the. Um, who else is on Sergeant Pepper that you, that you know? Oh, um, uh, Gandhi's on there. I think. I think he is. I think Gandhi is on there, or he's um, either on there or he was taken off at the last minute. Um, John Lennon. John. The Beatles are on there. Certainly, <laughs> there's a there's a waxwork of Cassius Clay. The others are sort of. The, the others are sort of. Um, 
figures, aren't they, that have had heads stuck on. Uh, William Burroughs, the, the famous uh, junkie Incoming. author, The Naked Lunch. I've seen William Burroughs. Uh, I've seen William Burroughs speaking. He was absolutely great. Uh, his books. Well, here's uh, a controversial book. thing that I was talking to my pals about at length the other week. Sergeant Pepper's overrated. Well, it's. I think it's probably. It's not. It's not the Beatles' best album, is it? Oh, no, it's think. not. I don't even think um, it's their second best album. No, it's not their second best album. Um, it's probably their third best album, isn't it? But I, um, I mean, yeah, you've got. I think. Oh, it's tricky because. Revolver. Well, it's either Revolver or Abbey Road, isn't it? This is now. Revolver. This is the, the sort of middle-aged content that people in the reviews really like. <laughs> Revolver and Abbey Road are definitely better than Sergeant Pepper's. Hundred percent. What about true. what about Rubber Soul? Well, the Rubber Soul's very good, and obviously, you know, there's the old, there's the White Album question as well, isn't there? There's so much quality on the White Album. There is. It's just too. There's just too much that's not quite as high quality. If you were to boil it down a bit that is right yeah and even you know, i mean it's abbey no, road all the way be. for me i would say you, you know you abbey road is the best. george abbey. harrison with two amazing tracks that the the production just sounds totally different to and and, and more <laughs> open and beautiful um there's uh it's a shame about maxwell silver hammer but there's usually you know there's usually something that you have to sort of grimace through isn't there uh, yeah i the, i agree i agree with you completely i would say I would put Sergeant Pepper's at, f- at fourth. I would put it fourth. fourth. Controversial. And here's something even more controversial. Guess which album I'd put fifth? No, fifth. no, no. sixth. <laughs> what is it? Go on. Magical Mystery Tour. Magical. Well, is it really an album or is it just a? Is it just an EP? That's a that. Well, that's an interesting. That's an interesting thought. But I. But I. Um. I think that is an underrated point of Beatles work I think there's some good stuff on there there is there's some great stuff on there um, anyway enough anyway. Robert Peel uh Robert Peel is, was number three yeah um number four uh he was a um Labour Prime Minister of the 20th century his mum talked so much about the second coming that he came home from school one day when he was in primary school found her gone and immediately assumed that she'd been taken up to heaven and he also gave up booze during his premiership I mean, that was the bit right. I think I've got this from, rather than the uh, ascending to heaven. Is it uh, James Callahan? It is James Callahan. Um, and finally, uh, he was beaten at Harrow for writing pornography, uh, and his fourth daughter Betty was injured in the same bombing raid which decapitated Ken Snake Hips Johnson. I oh, Snake Hips is such a good nickname as well, isn't it? Richard Snake Hips Porrit. Imagine. That. Well, it's not. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time, Steve, that I've been. No. I've been re- Referred to as that. I mean, you. I don't. You, I'm not sure you've ever seen me on the dance floor. You might have. You might have. But I. I can move. Oh yeah. I can oh move. yeah. Like a snake. Look like a snake. Steve's <laughs> snake teeth angle. See, but. Uh, <laughs> but there you go. Dear oh dear. Um, I've absolutely no <laughs> idea. I'm afraid. Um, it is uh, Stanley Baldwin. Uh, of course, was the sort of. He was the sort of between the wars, wasn't he? The dominant figure um, of uh, Tory the, politics between the wars. It, what was he the? Was he the? Um, was he what the the the, uh, the song by Billy Bragg? Oh, I tell you, as I get closer, as I get closer to 
middle middle age uh, my memory is absolutely shocking billy Bra- the billy bragg song between the wars was he was, was that what that was about billy never mind it's not even funny anymore that is a good song billy bragg between the wars however uh, yes it is a good song yeah yeah i was uh, a miner i was a docker i was a railway man between the wars uh right then we better pick a brexit of the week there's some good candidates this week. Uh, Sir Edward Lee, obviously. Um, <laughs> yeah. ruddy faced, um, the ruddy-faced Brexiteer. Uh, he said on Twitter that um, if the French couldn't sort the uh, migrant boat stuff out, then we should, uh, they should return Calais to uh, England. Obviously, England uh, was under, uh, Calais was under English rule for, I was going to say England was under English rule for 200 years. If only we were. Yeah, not anymore. Uh, I think we'd have superior cheese and a better system of government um, and probably better wine as well. Um, Calais we lost in 1558. I think Edward Lee lost it at somewhere around uh, the same time. He tweeted, problem with cross-channel migrants. We should never have lost Calais in 1588. Why not take it back? Um, people said, um, well, he was obviously joking, wasn't he? But, you know, when we, when we put on these allo allo voices and we make these stupid remarks, then, then, you know, it just demeans our politics, doesn't it? Um, the Museum of Brexit is a Brexiteer of the week. I tell you why, um, because the Museum of Brexit, which is being run by um, by our mate uh, Gawain Towler, who used to be Nigel Farage's uh, yeah. PR man at UKIP, um, and now he is running the uh, the Museum of Brexit. Um, I think they've phoned him up and gone, whatever happened to the Museum of Brexit? And he sort of said, oh, it's coming any day now. Um, and um, he said that they have got uh, one of Nigel, the... the, the the, the uh, stuff on the display will include pro-Brexit condoms, one of Nigel Farage's old suits, and some Weatherspoon's beer mats. And if that is not, you know, going uh, about to make you want to stump up 15 quid or whatever it is to get into the Museum of Brexit, then I don't know what will. He said um, that three locations in uh, leave voting areas have been identified as possible sites for the museum, but he didn't say what they are. And I have um, identified what I think they are. Uh, Cockermouth near Workington, which was 61% leave. Dick's Mount in Suffolk, which is near Beckles, 63% leave. And Bell End in, in Worcestershire, which is near Stourbridge, which was 64% leave. Um, Anne Widdicombe is a Brexiteer of the week. Alack, That's, she's a permanent, a permanent uh, fixture almost. She has sorted out the, the question of racial profiling, by the way. Did, uh, I don't know if you saw this in the, in the Daily Express. Uh, she did, wrote, yeah. Dawn, Dawn Butler, the Labour MP, Wales that, being, Wales that being stopped by the police was a case of racial profiling. I have been stopped by the police several times. And she goes on to detail how when she was a student, she often used to drive a very old Morris Minor between Oxford and Surrey uh, very late at night to go and see her parents. And she said, I, you know, it's happened on various occasions to me. I've never thought it, it's, uh, it, it's unreasonable. I mean, one, she and didn't specify whether she was wearing blackface at the time. Maybe, uh, maybe that was something she, I, I don't think she was. But maybe um, if you were a, a young policeman in the 1960s and you saw somebody who looked like Anne Widdicombe driving an ancient Morris Minor, 
uh, late at night um, on the roads, you would want to stop and then just make sure that you were, you know, your eyes weren't playing tricks. Um, I don't think uh, that undermines what Dawn Butler was saying after all, Anne, and you really should have stayed out of it. Um, the Brexiteer of the week, though, is Nigel Farage. Now, we've talked about Nigel Farage and his awful videos, uh, uh, his awful videos um, promoting his narrow and jaundiced view of the migrant crisis, the so-called migrant boat crisis, uh, before I was particularly taken with this week's episode where he marches into a hotel uh, somewhere in Kent, I believe, and demands to know why they are putting up these uh, poor asylum seekers. And the answer is uh, that these people are asylum seekers. They're not illegal immigrants. They are legitimately seeking asylum. It's for um, other people to sort out whether they've got a legitimate claim to stay in the country or not. Not a lot of them seem to be being sent back, which would indicate that in a lot of cases they are... Uh, completely legitimate and anyway we're taking a very tiny uh, very tiny amount uh, less than um, 0.05% of all the um, migrants who are coming over from these uh, from places like Syria uh, and obviously we've seen a, a, a very tragic case this week although uh, the, the right wing seem to be making hay with the, the idea that this bloke who has uh, tragically drowned was not quite as young as his uh, his his partner said that he was. Anyway, Nigel Farage, um, the seeker of truth and justice, he uh, walked into this hotel without wearing a face mask, probably uh, insignificant in the great scheme of things, but clearly not a man who cares about other people's personal danger or other people's personal feelings. Um, but what I really loved about this video was that he was pontificating about what ordinary people thought of the uh, the migrant crisis, and he was doing it from a chauffeur-driven Range Rover with cream leather upholstery seats. Uh, and then when he got out of the car, we could see, as we all expected, that the pink and black rugby shirt that he was wearing, a pink and black rugby shirt, by the way, was firmly tucked into his trousers. Uh, so Nigel Farage, no fashion sense, no sense whatsoever. And once again, the Brexiteer of the week. He is the Brexiteer of the week, um, ultimate champion, I think, I think Nigel Farage. Is. No one, no one's ever going to catch him. Um, well, congratulations. Nigel. Now, hey, listen, before we go, let's run... Before I go on Holly's yeah. let's do some reviews. Before you, before you go away, it, we, normal service will resume in a few weeks, but it will be me and some guests next week. Not sure who yet. Not sure. If you want to come on, I tell you what, drop me a, drop me a note on Twitter. Come on. Um, what are you going to get on? What about Rod, well, Jane and Freddie? What do they do these days? Oh, I'd love that. I'd love Rod, Jane and Freddie to come on. That'd be good, um, wouldn't it? I saw them live. Did you? At the Bradford Alhambra. Oh. I imagine they will remember that. What a dressing room that must have been. Oh, can you imagine the rider? Incre uh, incredible, yeah. I bet there was cans of naked sauna sour. <laughs> <laughs> the official beer of Rainbow. <laughs> the official beer of Rainbow. Um, right, let's read out some reviews then. I'll, I'll start with a good one. What about that? Shall I start with a good yeah, one? Yeah, why not? This is um, from uh, Hat Mancock, I think. Hat Mancock. Hello, Snowflakes. Plate, says, uh, I can't listen to this while shopping anymore because it makes me laugh so much. Five stars. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> low, low bar. 
This is also someone who laughs at um, Only Fools and Horses, clearly. <laughs> well, that's a very kind review. Thank you for that. Have you got any? Uh, I like um, Political Geek, uh, one star. Headline, waste of time, don't bother. Uh, waste of time listening to this Remainer podcast. No point listening to it. One star. Thank you, Political Geek. Uh, and That's I also brilliant. liked um, West York's Dave, who puts, hello, snowflakes. It's a rambling, ramshackle, tour de force analysis of the political scene in the UK. The kind of discussion you'd have over a pint in the pub with your mate on a Friday night after work. Bonus points for any references to West Yorkshire places for me as a fellow tyke. Great work, guys. Can you think of some West Yorkshire places that we can yeah. just to... let's do let's give a shout out to some West Yorkshire places then. Liversidge, <laughs> um <laughs> Cleckheaton, oh. um Batley, Batley. Uh, Batley Car. They're different yes. places. Um let's think. Uh, Marsden, Marsden, Keithley, Skipton. Slough it, what a place. Um, um, yeah. Upper Thong, I particularly like Upper Thong. And what about Nether Thong? Nether Thong, yeah, yeah. Saltair. Uh, yeah, Saltair, that's a wonder- that is a truly wonderful place. You've got to go there. If anyone who hasn't, get to Saltair, it is brilliant. And of course, um, Otley. Where? Otley. Oh, yeah. You can yeah. do the Otley yeah. run up to Otley. You can, you can, you can. Peniston or Penis Stone. Um... That's yeah, there's lots Yorkshire, of, isn't it, for West Yorkshire there's, there's Day? Lots of places. Lots of places. Um, Murfield. Oh, I better give a shout out to Murfield, where my dear old mum lives. Home of the there body bag. West Yorkshire. West Yorkshire. West Yorkshire. What a place. Or best Yorkshire, as we used to call it. <laughs> <laughs> That's for you, Dave. Best best Yorks, Dave. Thank you for your five stars. I got another. I got another five stars here. Oh. Um. The, the headline is Old Music Express. The mu- this music podcast is surprisingly enhanced by some whip-smart <laughs> political commentary. <laughs> I, I might even get out and vote next time, especially if the pubs are still closed. That was there back in go. May. But uh, ye, ye Dave said that. Dark times, it's, weren't they? they were dark times. Uh, one last one. Do you want to do it? And one last one uh, is uh, Pete Magnus, um, headline Top Banana. It was love at first listen with this podcast when Steve asked Richard what MRP, as in YouGov MRP, stood for, and Richard answered... Mmm, Richard Porritt. (laughs) What what great reviews. Do you know what? I'd completely forgotten... (laughs) It was, I'd forgotten about that, and it was a very funny moment. Uh, well, what should our army, our ever-expanding army of listeners do right now, Steve? Well, keep yourself safe till I come back. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. Please leave a nice review. It really does make a difference. The New European is still in shops. The double issue is £3.00. Uh, you can go to our website, theneweuropean.co.uk, and for £20, you get 13 issues and a free Remainer passport holder. If you go to tneshop.co.uk, you can buy face masks with a variety of visuals, including the European flag, uh, the message rejoin, the message Remainer. We are selling 
loads and loads of these so go and check them out as always talk about the new european brexit politics anything you like on the new european readers group on facebook and on twitter we're at the new european and i'm at sanglesey s-a-n-g-l-e-s-e-y see you snowflakes steve thank you very much you can also follow me at porrit p-o-r-r-i-t-t which leaves only me to say thank you very much to our guests anton uh, spisak and of course um uh, inga kempertrum um i hope i'm getting these pronunciations right i really do and if i'm not my greatest apologies um and thank you to you steve thank you to matt withers i will be back next week until then mr campbell play your bagpipes here you go Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.